You are now <laughs> about to witness the awesome, uh, a crushing uh, might. Of U.G.S. Robinson Show Stop it! Welcome, my friends. To a show that seemingly never sort of ends. Never, ever, and forever. Version a one, eight, a two. Not a departure. Had a 15 fight card last night. Two cares. Barely. So instead, we're going to. Let Bob Riley sing us in as he has since 2007. 2007. With intro, all of nothing. The Stigmata CD, record, LP, Calling of the Just. Still available from Revelation Records in Huntington Beach, California, where they hit your car with a hammer. Shoot your death in a nightclub and get rid of your mayor pro tem. So the Revelation Records got, got Revelation Records of Google. Use the search thing, find it, buy it, it's worth it. Until then, PBR, baby, listen, listen well. But I could not see so clear. I'm taking a real good look at you. I'm taking a real good look at your face. So being paid back and full always nothing. Well, 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 well. Yeah. Nice to see you all again. Version one eight. And two with the Eugene S. Robinson show stamper. Let's get the commercials out of the way. I got a bit of an edge to me. Mm-hmm. It might have been necessary to have you read this Substack to get where we're going with this show, but if you haven't, that's okay. Subscribe to the Eugene S. Robinson dot Substack dot com. S U B S T A C K dot com. Easy, it'll come to you every Sunday. You don't have to worry about it. Commercials, pinko95014 at yahoo.com is a PayPal. I'm still trying to figure out how to get the money you put in there in the, in the, in the, in the Venmo and the Cash App. I got those two. Or you can do it like Tommy Pounds does, send it the old-fashioned way through the mails, and I like that and appreciate that as well. Those are the commercials. 
So as usual, we're gonna we're gonna we got. I don't want to go over, so we're gonna jump right into this because I got I got a prelude. All right. So, so uh, my day is pretty much my week is pretty organized. I mean, when we do care, don't care, and we talk about what we, you know, Steph, you say, what do you guys get coming up? You know, even when I was at Ozzy, you know, it uh, they, my week is is regimented. That's a word that comes up regimented. <clears throat> In fact, I read some Alfred Hitchcock Presents story in these, these collections when I was a kid. Alfred Hitchcock Presents, and they would take murder mystery stories, collect them in a book, slap his photo on the cover, and say Alfred Hitchcock Presents, and it was a great story. And one of the things that was the world's most perfect spy, he realized every single affectation that humans have, like whether things that they just typically do, scratch of the ear, you know, things that they have habituated themselves into. He, he was bereft of any of these things. And he was the world's most, you'd see him and then you wouldn't see him. You would, you would not see him while seeing him. And at one point he was, he was a, 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 a exulting and what a perfect spy he was as he was following a guy. And two things happened at once. He noticed that he was using his thumbnail to score the edge of a matchbook packet. And as he did this, he looked up and saw the guy that he was tailing Look at him do it. And, of course, he was assassinated that night, right? So I tell this story because, it, it, you know, I, I am super paranoid about the regimentation for my life and uh, actually change it up in order to not be caught unawares. I, I say this as a prelude to the prelude to explain how it is I do. I, I'm countering what somebody said to me, which was, why would you even do that? Now, in this instance, the why, do, and that have everything to do with how I spend my time with the kid, my youngest daughter, who's 13, 14 months old. So generally, it doesn't mean that much to me. I, I, I never have to leave the house. I'm, I'm perfectly happy just to go to jujitsu and then to rush back home and sit here and not do anything. Well, you know, play in the yard and the whole bit. I don't want to say do nothing. I mean, just... You know, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not a high maintenance dad. I don't need to, okay, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. But I've discovered over, over the, the scant 13, 14 months she's been alive that she likes, um, <laughs> much like other human beings, she seems like human beings, right? And seeing, I mean, in other words, I've got a sandbox here because they're great. I'm going to get a sandbox here so I don't have to go to the park and hang out with those other creeps through the sandbox, you know, and she can see the front yard and the cars and the people and the, the Okay, but, you know, it's not the same. She can play for two hours happily, the sandbox in a public park, because the rhythm of the public park experience is such that you are, um, your genetic desire, your inborn desire to be socialized, social animals, you know, is exercised, even if you don't have any real interaction. That's why people go to coffee shops to write their great novel. I wrote my novel not in a coffee shop. I clustered in a cubicle at Nikon Precision Inc. Uh, or at least I wrote the lyrics to Serenade in Red there. Uh, so she likes, I don't mind going to the park. But as such, I like to go to different parks because I don't want to be pegged. So, I, you know, all I needed, I, I had some woman come up to me in a park and say, I haven't seen you here before. And I understand the park paranoia, but she wasn't saying it, it was halfway between a come on line and a paranoid line. And I'm also given a stink eye. I see guys hang out in the kids park who don't have kids. What the fuck are you doing there? Get out of here. 
Oh, you're looking at your phone, huh? You're filming. If I see an image of my kid on your phone, I'm going to stomp you in your head. Get out. Okay. So I understand park paranoia. The woman says, I haven't seen you here before. And I said, well, you know, I'm here all the time. Um, and at that point, I stopped going to that park. I just mixed it up. Go to different parks. But eventually, you end up seeing some of the same people in the same parks. It's unavoidable. You got kids of a certain age. You're gonna, they have social lives outside of you. You know, all of a sudden, people start using your kid's name. You don't know these people. Wait till they go. That's so. Um, and as such, I, I am interested in having as multicultural of an experience as possible. I live in East Palo Alto, which is, a, is largely uh, 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 a high percentage of people who live here are Latinos, Pacific Islanders, uh, Asians, both Indians and Asians from Asia. Um, white folks, you know, and uh, it initially had been an African-American community. I think African-Americans are only 14% of the community that uh, left here. Mostly were old folks who sold and went back down south. And uh, they, like I, my first house here, first two houses here, I sold to Latino families before I moved back. After moving to Palo Alto, getting divorced and moving back. Simple. So I like to go to all the different parks, uh, you know. It seen, there was some, a scene that irked me at one point. At one point, uh, after I moved to Palo Alto, I was going to take my kids trick-or-treating, and they wanted to go trick-or-treating where some of their friends were trick-or-treating. And so my, their friends were from Palo Alto, and we went to, the, you know, we, we lived in Palo Alto, so we just went trick-or-treating. And there was something that I detected, and I detected that um, not only were people from who didn't live in Palo Alto, trick-or-treating in Palo Alto, but there was a perception on the part of the people in Palo Alto who, that the people were not, that the people trick-or-treating were not from Palo Alto. I say perception because it was such that I, I, I noticed it. Not the, not the people, the interaction between the peoples, right? I don't like it. It's, it, it smelled dirty to me, you know? It's like, you got a jar of, of knickknacks, of uh, uh, Kit Kats, sorry, and, and, and Tootsie Rolls. You got a bunch of little hands going into the bowl. Who do you give a shit? What do you give a shit that people from, from East Palo Alto come over and trick-or-treat there? You know, I, I, I'm not, I don't encourage, I don't like people ringing my doorbell, coming up to the door. So I, I haven't done in my house here trick-or-treating forever, ever. My house in Palo Alto when I was still, you know, married, eh, you know, we take the kids out trick-or-treating, put some bowls. So you come to the house, you got, you know, pumpkins, but we're out trick-or-treating too. If you want, you just take because we don't want to split up. I don't want to sit at home. The ex-wife didn't want to sit at home. We go out with the kids. So, you know, like to go to all the parks because I want, I want the, the just, I, whatever, you know, I'm a New Yorker. I go where I want. And at one point, um, the kid is, she's got, I told you last week, she's got sniffles. She still got the sniffles, you know, okay, got the sniffles. And I think it's socially irresponsible to go to a little park. It's a few blocks from the house. I don't want to get anybody sick. So, but, you know, the wife says, hey, okay, well, there's nobody, there's nobody there at this time of day. There's nobody there. I go over there. Suddenly there's a, a quirk. There are people there, little kids. I said, no, we can't go there. Now, let's go to the other one. Fine. I never go to the other one. It's it's right on a major University Avenue, big street thoroughfare. Eh, whatever. It's right by the y, YMCA. 
park. You got to walk in the back. It could be a nice kind of tree laned walk. And we walk down, turn into a tree lane walk, and there are clusters of, of homeless people at the front. Whatever. As I walk down this nice tree lane with the kid, you know, babbling, we're talking and pointing stuff out, like you do with little kids. They're grocery carts full. We get to the end of it, I smell smell of shit, human shit. And then I gotta walk across a field, and on my right hand side, there's a uh, there's a, a there are two buildings, and along the outer wall of these buildings, people have built lean-tos with tarps and 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 uh, and plywood. Whatever. Nobody's bothering me, but we walk into the kids' park, and it's a new one. They put a lot of money into this. Put a lot of money into this kids' park with all the substrate and these special, you know, thing. Nothing they had when I was a kid. And there's a guy sitting on top of the slide, one of the kids' slides, nodding out, trying to do something. Don't know, don't know what. So I, I start to remember we had been there a couple of days before, and it was fine. We was like, wow, well, well, whatever. It's close. Not as close to the house, but whatever, you know. We just go to all the parks. And this is just another one. I started to think about the fluid I saw on the slide. My kid loves slides. I assumed it was morning dew, because this this time we went, it was in the morning time. I stopped going to parks in Menlo Park where I saw some teenagers urinating on a on a on a slide like it was funny. Yeah, we're getting to it. So he's, you know, he's not, well, she likes a little mock choo-choo train. We go to a choo-choo train and she's kind of wandering around like through the mulch and, and she, oh, she picks up a Smirnoff cap. Oh, a little Jack Daniels bottle. Oh, a cigarette butt. And she starts wandering over to where the guy is on the, on the, on the, on the slide. But there are bunches of slides and there are a bunch of things. She doesn't see him. She's walking down the mulch underneath it. And I see little pockets of water underneath. I don't know that it's urine, but I don't know that it's not urine. It's not dew. Morning dew, the wetness condensation from the change in temperature. It's not that. So I kind of, kind of redirected towards some other stuff and they have these new fancy toy, little special, you know, seesaws. And then she's wandering and I see two things. She's wandering in the direction of a shit-filled diaper. And I step in to intercede from the shit-filled diaper. And she starts to walk to where the picnic tables are. And then I see a bunch of vomit by the picnic tables. I go, fuck it. That's it. Out. We're out. We're out. We're fucking we're out. And I'm walking and I'm thinking, listen, oh, oh, well, there's one other thing. Now I'm fuming. I'm fuming now. So we're walking and I don't, I don't even dare, there's a lawn there. I don't even dare put it down on the lawn, right? Because these Palo has the same problem that Palo Alto does. People who say, yes, I know there's a dog run, but my dog doesn't like dog runs. So I'm going to let my fucking mutt run around where you're trying to sit there with your kid, shitting and pissing everywhere because I'm fucking special. And I become the black Karen. I call it, if it's a leash, don't let the dog go on a leash and think that's okay. Or get the 36 foot leash and say the dog's on a leash. No, I had a dog for a long time. Go to the dog park. Your dog gets in the fights there. Oh, well, go hiking. 
keep the dog on a leash. What can I tell you? Like some woman, and we're having a, a, a chorus first birthday party, someone with a 36-foot leash. The dog runs over almost on the blanket, where her cake is, or pie. I just look at the woman, I go, can you imagine that I don't like this? That was a very sophisticated question. I wanted her to think about this in 360 degrees. The boundaries of your existence and my existence. I don't want to get off track. So I'm walking across this field and I see this little kid walking toward me. Now, on the circumstances, most of us see a little kid, especially if you have a little kid, and you go, oh, a little kid. Hey, little kid. But this is a little kid. I discovered this. My mom used to be a part of an a, a, a anti-poverty group. And she did this thing where, oh, we're going to we're going to we're going to have we're going to get the kids from the projects, Jay-Z's projects. When I lived in Crown Heights, get them over here and we're going to do a park beautification thing. Fine. I'm nine years old and I'm excited about the painting. I, you know, got some clothes on and clean. You know, I got a white sweatshirt on. And I'm taking a roller and I'm bringing the roller back to start painting. And a little drop of it drops on this little kid's hand. He's six. Six, five or six. And he looks at his hand and goes, the fuck are you doing? And he takes his brush and jams it in my chest. Now I'm smart enough to know, okay, my mom is the organizer. I can't, you know, I can't do anything. I know this, right? I go, okay. I just, I just take it. <laughs> Which at nine years old was still a lot for me to take. And later my mom sees me, she goes, what happened? And I said, uh, and I explained it to her and she goes, uh-huh. We never did that again. The year before, my mother, again, wanting me to have a multicultural experience, she said, hey, let's go over to the Halloween thing over at the projects. It's when we lived in Cobble Hill. So we went over to the projects. We were there 10 minutes. Kids were having pool ball fights. The, the apple dunking thing was, was that happy apple dunking thing. People were hitting each other with pool cues who were dunking. You said, you dunk for the thing and they hit you with a pool cue. It was absolute chaos. I don't. She, my mom looks at me. She says, "You want to go?" I go, "Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Be here." So this little kid is walking to us, and I, you know, and I know that that Cora is excited to see a little kid. She's high, and he's looking at me. He, he's giving me the ice grill, and so now I know that the wife is 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 thinking about something else, not even paying attention. And that Cora is, 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 is excited with his little kid. So I know that look that she's turning to Mr. Ice Grill is like, hi. And I see him give her, you know, the, the Ice Grill look and he looks at her and then he looks at me. And by the time his eyes go from her to me, he's got a face full of rage. You're six years old. This is my kid. So I'm I'm looking at him crazed. And the kid kind of looks, looks, looks away, you know. And I was like, you know what? The pr- prob the persistent probs of the under underclass, they can't be my responsibility or my fault. I've been trying to be involved in this in a positive way since I was, and let me tell you what the I, I get I threw a lot at you there. But the thing, the thing, the thing that if as if I'm if I'm Scorsese and the thing that I focus on in this movie 
is one thing, and I you may have glossed over it. The shit-filled diaper, which means you showed up with your child to enjoy a park for children. Your child used the diaper, filled the diaper, and you sat on the bench to change the diaper that was approximately 12 feet from a garbage can and made a decision, nah, fuck it. Fuck it. And you left it there, you threw it on the ground because I know you didn't change your kid on the ground. You changed the kid on the table and you threw it on the ground and left the park. Now, look, <laughs> look, look, look. You're going to spend all, there's an $18 million surplus, city surplus in this city. $18 million. Facebook is here. Amazon is here. Ikea. <laughs> $18 million surplus. A homeless encampment. Now, those guys, the homeless, they were probably some of the happiest people in the world during the shutdown because they have community. I understand why they're, why they're all there. But Republicans and Democrats, nobody's serious about this homeless issue. That's not what I'm here to talk about. I start to, I start to talk about it and, and, and uh, to, to, to Marty G about it, and we, we, we start to fall into a familiar trope. You know, Republicans, Democrats. And I was like, well, look, you know, eight years of George W., four years of his father, eight years of Reagan, you know, eight years of Clinton, eight years of Obama. We still got a homeless problem. We didn't have it prior to Reagan, really. We had bums. People committed to drinking alcohol. That's fine. With bums. We didn't have communities of people, we mental ill. So we start talking about, OK, how do we how do we how do we how do we solve this problem? Guy from Ukraine says, I got a solution. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to hear from anybody from Eastern Europe. I said, would your solution happen to be a final one? He goes, well, yeah. I go, okay, okay, enough of that. <laughs> we got, how do we solve this problem? Okay, well, let's, let, let's, this community that we're looking at. Let's look at this community for a second. Say so we're looking at uh, people who are mentally ill. Do we need help? Talking about people who have drug and alcohol problems, we could create situations where they need help, and uh, and then maybe out of all that, you have a three percent persistent underclass who, no matter what you do, are going to resist. Not the principal drunks of yore, not those people, but people who like who have had ten years of living outside and won't go back. A lot. Somebody pipes up and says, "Well, a lot of these people are vets. They come back PTSD, can't live inside." Screw it. That's where they go. There are places for them to go. Another guy, my Navy guy, told me, look, if you see somebody saying he's homeless and he's in the military, they've got services to help vets all over the place. Yeah, but I also know Greg Papadopoulos got blown up in Fallujah. And then when he came back and tried to go to the VA to get problems for his back, they go, how do we know you were blown up in Fallujah? He goes, because I was blown up in Fallujah. I wasn't blown up in Jamaica, Queens, Long Island City, Forest Hills. I wasn't blown up there. Okay. So, I said, well, how do you deal with the problem? Do you deal with, is it a social thing? Do you have and I said, I started to think, I said, well, you know, there was this, there was this thing in the city where they said, we're going to, we're, we're clearing all you, at low income section eight housing, clearing you all out. We're going to rebuild. And this guy, I think, won some kind of award for it. And he said, um, instead of taking all this money and just doing stuff to you or for you, we want you to tell us. 
how could we best spend this money? And the, the poor folks who live there said, okay, if you have kids uh, over a certain age and you don't get off of work at three, you have to have, we can't have unsupervised kids. Cut down the graffiti, urine, broken windows, garbage, cut down all that stuff. Um, and then they, they came up with like a, 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 a 10 rules. And as far as I know, it's still a successful community of low income people in San Francisco. Buildings still look good. Things okay. It's working. And this guy won an award for it. That's fine. So we're talking about this. And so uh, Marty G lays out this whole thing. And I said, well, that sounds like a new political party that under most circumstances I would like called the fuck you party. He's like, what do you mean the fuck you party? I goes, well, what you're saying is, he goes, he said, what do you, what do you, you know, um, as a father, what do you do? Would you just give your kids everything and you just, you make them work? So I, I want to build character. You know, you know I, I'll give you an allowance, but you got to mow the lawn. You got to do so. Ah, okay. So you understand that there, there are different ways, you know, um, there are different ways to, to incentivize people. And I go, yeah, he goes there. And he came up with this, this adage about good, uh, hard times, uh, I'm not going to get this right. It's too bad he's not he's not listening. About hard times create tough people. Um, tough people create. One of you might have heard this before. Tough people create. Um, um, uh, hard times create uh, uh, tough people. T- uh, yeah, hard times create tough people. Um, good times. Oh God, I can't. The idea being that if you have a you have three generations. So the hard times will make somebody who's tough. Tough people will actually do something really sophisticated and, and fix things. And then the next generation is invariably soft. Yeah, um, and so then we start, to, we start to get around to this idea that what we're talking about are what we're talking about are archetypes that, that, that for, for want of a better word, um, are gender ruled. When we've talked about this before, how fathers... Uh, fathers and men have been widely conceived as figures of fun going as far back. I have to say initially in my mind, in terms of pop culture and media honeymooners, Ralph Cramden, who was later reborn in the sixties as Fred Flintstone and, you know, Al Bundy. And I, and so I said, yeah, you, you do know how Americans had to go to Australia to find male macho, um, uh, archetypes. He goes, what are you talking about? I go, Hugh Jackman, uh, the guy who played, who was in the first Hulk that was not, uh, whose name I can't remember, who was not, uh, um, who was not Ed Norton, uh, uh, Mel Gibson initially. Um, and so what do you think made these guys macho ideals? And what do you think made it so impossible for, for Americans who had had who had, you know, been had their hands around macho, uh, and macho makes it sound pejorative, but you know what I'm mean? manly virtues. Eric Bana, thank you, Eric Bana. So what? And I said, well, it's a combination of strength. What does it say? Uh, the strong silent. Oh, he's a strong silent type. Okay, so what happened? So we we have a, a twenty year cycle. Those cats came back from World War II suffering from something we didn't have a name for uh, until now called PTSD. Not having a name for it allowed us, except in the most extreme cases where people use the word shell shock, allowed us to ignore it as a problem. And that generation of fathers 
20 years later, discovered they were completely alienated from their sons or daughters and vice versa. What was, you know, uh, what was 20 years later after World War II? Let's go 20 years, 1965. A, gener a, a generation of children were hungering for some kind of father archetype and that strong silent thing wasn't working. At the same time, at the same time that strong, you know, people were advocating the redrawing of boundaries in ways that did suit the, the change in society, right? By the 70s, you had, you had the, the boundaries of male existence being expanded. So you had tough guys, you know, uh, 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 like Rosie Greer, big football player. Some of you don't remember Pam Greer's brother or cousin singing, you know, it's all right to cry. Even good guys do it. In other words, validating some of the stuff that the guys who came back in 1945 probably wish they could do. So the pendulum swings swings the other way. So that by the late by the time the late seventies, you know, uh, 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 hit, you know, I had I had a girlfriend who once said to me, "I would dump a man who cried in front of me, and unless his mother died, and maybe even then, because if he is a court, you know, if he's a court of last resort when somebody's called upon to man up." What am I going to do if he can't? And I know people start screaming, well, this is an awful, hard, terrible burden to, to place a, well, you know, look, let's look at the scenario. Al Bundy, figure of fun, a punchline. And into this, into this, into this vacuum uh, 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 crawls, um, crawls, a, you know, Iron John, MRA guys, all this kind of say, listen, keep in mind, 20-year cycles. It's no mistake George W. became president. The, 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 the always bruised son versus Gore, who was felt very much like the withholding father. That was not a mistake. One of the most popular por por uh, 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 types of porn now, incest porn with men supposedly having sex with their mothers and or their stepmothers. So from 75 to 95, boundaries were redrawn again. You know, the 70s, the me generation, the cocaine, the disco gave way to AIDS and HIV and people getting panicked about homosexuality, which... They had been trumpeting before as a fashion choice in the late 70s, you know, and, oh, bisexuality chic and the whole bit. I don't have any problem with that. I'm not talking about that like that's a bad thing. All these boundaries, George C. Scott said the 60s were the worst thing that happened to America. Well, yeah and no. Civil rights realignments needed to happen. Women's rights realignment needed to happen. You know, gay rights realignment needed to happen. All that stuff needed to happen. But like a steady drum beat, you know, you forget. And now, just this past week, they're talking about a crisis. Um, me, I was not fashionable in the 70s. No, I was I was strange. If you lifted weights in the 70s, that meant something else completely different. <laughs> Pumping iron changed everything.
there were two things that made my life a lot easier. Pumping iron and 48 Hours, the movie with Nick Nolte and Eddie Murphy. Both of these films helped me immeasurably. So, so, so now the me generation is given way to, and these boundaries were pushed, you know, to, 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 again, men are not, not really verbal. So you got to figure, we're figuring this stuff out at half the speed because we're figuring it out alone. But there's no dearth of people who are willing to help from Iron John to who's a Buscalia to, uh, uh, from a different side. And so that, so at one point, Marty G. Fine says, what we're talking about is, is, is essentially, and, and Hitler talked about this, take a drink, talked about this. And when he talked about the masses being essentially female, feminine. And Marty said, well, let's, let's, let's go from macro to micro and look at single mom households versus single dad households, you know? Right. So single mom, he said, you know, and he goes, he's got a friend. Let's just call his friend B, who um, was raised by a mom and is the mom in his family. His kids are, are nurtured. Um, he is nurturing. And, and by G, Marty G's light, the, you know, the the. This. What nurturing that he believes to be excessive, it's the word he used, ha- hasn't hasn't borne fruit. And then he turned on me, and he goes, "And you?" I see, in, 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 like in other words, and he gave an example. He said, "You know, if the kids have a little bit of a thing, say, won't you stay home? I'll make you some soup. You can stay home, watch TV." And he says, "And you?" And I go, <laughs> "No." Not my house. <laughs> my my mom was like Sarah. Your leg is broken. See you Tuesday. Training jujitsu doesn't matter. I was sick. Get your stuff together. Go to school. You'd be sick at school. He goes. So in other words, your mom was your dad. I go. No, well, I had a, I had a dad and a stepfather, but yeah, they were more retiring. They were men of the age, having grown up with men. Right? They were all born in the. My father, 39, my stepfather, uh, 39, I think as well, 1939, 40, grew up with men. Actually, my stepfather's father was not that way, but whatever. That's who they grew up with. And they were consequently very easygoing, comfortable, perfectly well suited. Somehow, so we start talking about the pendulum swinging back and forth. From 1945 to where we're heading at right now, which is uh, 2025. And he, the claim that he makes, he says that, you know, Trump represented an unspoken but desired swing of the pendulum back toward, back toward dad reality. And I said, well, hold on, hold on. America has had archetypical dads. Let's just go to the media for a second. Ward Cleaver. You know, uh, Fred McMurray on My Three Sons. These were 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 dad dads, manly dads. When did it change? Well, if we want to do it just by TV dads, 
Let's look at Mr. C from from uh, uh, Happy Days. Archie Bunker, another TV dad, was excoriated. Was a, was a was a football in the seventies. It's constant warning to take the other direction. By the way, Glenn Miller played songs that made the hit parade. Guys like us, we had it made. Yeah, whatever. Mr. C, Mr. Cunningham was this kind of roly-poly, slightly ineffectual dad. Nah. Now, I grew up with four sisters. I got four daughters, tons of aunts, and so on, female cousins. But there was one time, my mother, I didn't remember this story. We were driving somewhere, and my mother and my stepfather were having some argument. I'm a passenger. I'm in the back seat. And I remembered this. Once she pointed out, and I'm listening to them argue, and everything that I would have said to stop the argument or to win the argument, he said the exact opposite. And my brain was going through that kind of clump, like if you're trying to teach somebody something and doing all the wrong stuff, and your brain is making that same mistake, and you start to get frustrated. And apparently, this is me at seven or eight or something, I flip out, and I start screaming from the back seat, just tell her to shut up! Just say, just say, just shut up! And they got very quiet because they realized, oh, <laughs> oh, we have an audience, right? So, um, so I don't have that hungering search, that need for, for you know, for, for the manly dad. This is not my my my. This is not the absence in my life. It's like it's like underworld. I am the offspring of werewolves and and vampires. I can exist in both communities. I I stew and uh, and hold grudges uh, like a woman. <laughs> I mean, these are grossly drawn stereotypes. But at the same time, um, you know, uh, my refusal, and I'm verbal. But my refusal to talk about certain things, I, I remember my ex-wife said to me at one point, she goes, uh, you know, what what do you, what do you use as a version you have to interpersonal conflict? You know, if I scream at you, you just scream back. I go, I don't want to have a relationship like that. How do I know? I know because a girlfriend, two, four girlfriends before her decided it was a referendum on my masculinity, that my refusal to fight was a, a mark of cowardice, ineffectual dad, shadow of. And she's like, kind of making, come on, come on, come on, come on. And I said, okay, tell you what, if we were going to have a real argument, I might say something like, due to your stunted and limited emotional range, your involvement in any relationship will be corrosive and destroy both you and the person you're with for the foreseeable future. And there was silence in the room afterward. And she said, you know what? I think you were right. We shouldn't fight because you don't know how to and you're way too mean. I said, I just told you the truth. We didn't have to be here at all. We could have talked about this serious thing that we're talking about in a very calm and collected way without arguing for fun because I don't do it for fun. So there's there's a manly aspect too. Werewolves, vampires, perfectly made offspring product. So when I see these cats who are selling prescriptives, 
a prescriptive that I found myself responding to. More men, men, more men than I like to think have come up to me. One guy in particular said, Eugene, what are your secrets of machismo? Or guys who say, hey, what's your big pickup line? Do any of that shit. This, this is, this is, I, I, I got no guidebook for any of this. I, what I relish about being an artist is being able to maintain a clear through line to intuition. Not second guessing. First mind is your best mind. Not second, this is what I love about martial arts. Not second guessing. Make that move, make that move. It feels right. Or the meat puppet said it best. I don't have to think, I only have to do it. The results are always perfect and that's old news. So he says, so Trump was, was an indication, was an indication that people were feeling a need to move that way. And I started to think about Trump, I think of Charlottesville, you will not replace us. And I start to look at it as, as a creed the core, a cry from the heart of, 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 of the masculine portion of our ids that have 45 years of being the butts of jokes, like had enough, had enough, had enough. It's like that guy, the quiet guy that you know, and you just kind of keep clowning on him. And then one day the guy flips out and you realize, oh, just because he's quiet didn't mean he had all this stuff roiling around under the surface. Wow. I just tread, tread lightly there. And I go, yeah, but you know, Trump was a cartoon. And in a lot of ways, does as great a disservice to the idea of true masculinity as any one of these, you know, TV fops. Oh, King of Queens. I don't know. Everybody hates Raymond. Everybody loves Raymond. I don't know. I think the kid. I know him. He just doesn't get it. Yeah, fuck you. Yeah, he is a cartoon. However. However, he said, Marty G says, well, outside of that, you have to admit, yeah, no, outside of that, this was a flag. This was a flag that there was a desire to have, you know, you, like I said about Nazi Germany, where people are like, oh, you got to realize a 25 year old in Germany now, you cannot deny them a moral imperative because of some shit that happened in 1945. You can't. It's generations ago for them. I've learned this from being in a band. You don't tour into, if you tour, tour more than every four years, you go back and the audience is completely different because all those people graduated from college and gone on to French techno or whatever the fuck. They're not there. They're gone. Four years. It's been a lot more than four years since 1945. So people have a hunger. They understand a representative who, who, is, who is somehow giving voice to that hunger you know, I don't give a fuck. You know, I, you know, softly, well, in this case, not softly, but carrying a big stick, loud and wrong, unrepent. I mean, all the things you are not going to replace. It, it's a, it's a cry from the heart for, but it, it does, it does, it sets, it sets us back. And I go look through the, 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 the male embodied archetypes from in, a, in American public life. Go, who, who, who are they? I said the reason why Obama won, even though I largely his post-presidential act I find jaw-dropping. How is it you think that we're excited about you doing a show with Bruce Springsteen? You look out your fucking window, but the key to his success 
they use words like avuncular to describe him. He brought very serious dad energy to the job, and that's what they very definitely needed after, after George W. Bush, the wounded son. That's what was needed, the dad. But you also understand that after his two terms, when Hillary Clinton, the mom, was running, at that point, people were like, what are you slapping the pendulum back? Is that what's happening? Now, we need a female president, but we don't need a mom. Do you understand? We needed a dad when we got Obama, and we got a dad. We didn't need, Obama, we didn't need a mom when Hillary was presenting herself as the mom. We didn't need that. But Trump, the cartoon, after four years, people were like, it's a cartoon. It's as real as, as any of the, it's, it's, it's like electing Al Bundy president. What do we do? So I start to think, public life. Where are, the, where are these men in American public life? Men in American public life. And I go, I'm like casting around. They say, well, you actors. I go, yeah, no, no, I'm just, I'm just people that everybody knows. You can see. And I go, oh, my God. Walter Cronkite. Somebody goes, oh, yeah, that, that other cat, that black guy from the Bay Area, uh, the one who died, the newscaster, KTVU, Dennis Richmond. Yeah. Public life in America, the dads of public life in America, the voices of public life in America were, were owned and, and directed by, by, um, by newscasters. You didn't fuck around with Walter uh, Cronkite. Huh? He did not. I mean, and if he said, if he was moved emotionally, he's like, you see dad cry, you know it's a serious, you know, Kennedy assassination. You know, we're not fucking around now. It's serious. Dad's upset. And you know when that died? When Dan Rather got his ass kicked. When Dan Rather got his ass kicked, it died. <laughs> the gravitas, and then the other guy, Peter, whatever his name, I can't remember, got busted lying about his military thing. And it's like, uh, you're not a dad. You're like that guy who killed his son because his son found pictures of him in a skirt with makeup on, eating shit out of a baby's diaper. That kid made a mistake. I got to tell you, no, no, there's no age I could ever have been that I would have seen that photo and thought, I'm going to mention it to that guy while we're out on a lonely road alone. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, Brian Williams. Lester Holt, uh, the, the new cat who replaced him, Lester Holt is not that. Lester Holt is just a smart guy in the classroom. We all had those. No dad. There's no dad to him. There's nobody on the current political. I mean, if, 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 if the shoes fit did anything, we could actually find somebody in American public life and go, emotionally, the tone and the timbre that this guy strikes is that. Because people are paranoid after the Obama thing. They're not going to be taken in by that fake dad stuff. They need the real thing. I currently don't see anybody like that now. And if you think you're going to force you're going to force Kamala Harris onto the American public, if you're the DNC, you better wise the fuck up. We're in sorely needed. So when you get these guys with prescriptives, and I mentioned his name in the title, Jocko Willenick, God love him. You know, uh, I, I totally respect that he's taking all the lemons and making lemonade. 
He's got a hustle. I'm not going to shake his hustle. Because there are steps to this thing. There are steps to this thing. And if the first step, like the guys who asked me, Eugene, what are your pickup lines? I said, my pickup line, usually my pickup line is, is hello. I tell you, one of you asked me a question. And I'm going to answer it in email. And I'm sure you won't mind me reading your question out, um, and before I get to the email. Um, and I'll read it to you. And it was actually super compelling. Uh, he, I just told him to he, uh, email me. I'll, I'll email him an answer back. And so he said, uh, uh, here we, uh, no, he didn't say that. I don't want to take up the time uh, finding it if I can't find it in the next, say, 10 seconds. I, I'm actually, oh, here we go. No, that's not it. Uh, oh, man, I, uh, no. <laughs> where did he, where did he write me? I, I need to find, oh, here we go. Uh, yeah, here we go. He says, I want to ask you personally on some of the themes on Oxbow Serenade and Red, mostly in Asylum and a couple of others. Do you have a belief that there are actually decisive women sent to mislead or pull us into demonic or low frequencies to gaslight insanity that doesn't actually exist? I wonder if this inspired themes in that. Also, the themes of insanity from environment, squalor or misunderstanding and hive mind mentalities mostly of lower class or low activity areas. So you see why I'm thinking about this, right? Or even just a Gnostic belief, not agnostic, but a Gnostic belief that life slips away, then shows us what was supposed to be when a distraction subsides. Something crazy like that, I don't know. And then I say, send me an email address and I'll answer. You got to understand that the, 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 the silo of dad is completely unique and not this is the, the the glory of it and not related to not related to to um it's like the chessboard the king's relationship to the other other pieces on the board is not tenuous is not the word that I want to use but the word that comes to mind but it's almost separate sui generis that's being pronounced correctly unique all right in other words, you are a North Star. Consensus building, it's fine. But like the guy says in Mulholland Falls, how many drivers does a buggy have? Well, one. Well, let's consider that this is a buggy and I'm driving it. And if you play your cards right, you might ride along with me a while. You don't know what I'm talking about? Type in Google Mulholland Cowboy scene. It's one of the best speeches ever written. That, and it keep, make no mistake, there's a reason why David Lynch had that coming out of the mouth of a cowboy. That's what I'm talking about. Who, who, who on the landscape evinces that kind, that kind of stolidity? Stolidity. Nobody that I can see. Nobody that I can see. But you understand, in the presence of men like that, we can comfortably embrace the, we can comfortably embrace the boys that we're trying to hide. 
in our journey from becoming to being so that we don't have to do this over compensatory thing. I mean, I know guys who deepen their voices because they thought that. Now I made fun of those guys, but then I have a friend who's an award-winning actor and he did that. And after doing that, start speaking in a lower register. I think a large, I can't even do it. <laughs> I think a large portion of his, his acting success has been when you hear his voice, you go, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> he very much evinces that, that, that data. And we're talking about Andre Brower from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I remember his voice before and I remember his voice after and it worked for him. But these were not the same people. There were two different guys I know who deepened their voices. I don't say it's faux. Sometimes you grow into a role that you're quite comfortable with. You, you, you go from, from becoming to being in, in a way that suits you. It doesn't matter how, whether you got there, whether you, there was a amount of fakery and tricky, fake it till you make it, maybe that works. Sometimes it works. It often works. That's what the becoming is about. But these things are things that exist. You know, you can say, ah, you know, I think you're, and people will complain. I don't like it. I, you know, my kid, one point, she was being cavalier. My, I think my oldest, Grace, was being cavalier with my turntable and broke the needle. I said, hey, kid, go get your uh, your, your bank, your piggy bank, that thing on your shelf. And you know, consequence, I wasn't paying attention. She goes and gets it. I start shaking all the money out. She goes, what are you doing? I said, come on, we're gonna go, we're gonna bu go buy me uh, a new needle because you broke mine and we're gonna use your money to do it because you broke my needle. And she was like, hey, crying on the way to the store. We get to the store and I tell a guy, I said, this is the kind of turntable, I have. this is the needle I have. And the guy goes, okay, you know, here's the bill. And I put all of her money on the counter. And of course, you know, she had $6. The thing was way more than that. And I, I paid for the rest of it, but didn't say, and I said, you know, you got to be careful with stuff that's not yours. Now, I don't know that her mother was that happy with it. But I thought it was a teachable moment. And uh, be allowed to have those. At this point now, what happened is men trying to figure out becoming to being created such a kind of kerfuffle that people are like, look, we, we, we can't have you be part of this process. So go do it in your in your drum circle or around in the Iron John in the woods and whatever, in your man cave, and then get back to us. When, and then we get back and then the whole world is insane. Yeah, yeah, no, she did, yeah. Elizabeth, whatever, from Theranos. She tried to do it. It worked. And now she's using the world's most interesting defense, I was brainwashed by my lover for 10 years and he made me do it. Or like some woman said to me to explain her years of post-relationship, uh, 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 um, her, her years of post-relationship whoring. And I don't say that to be mean. I'm just saying, you know, if you have sex with a different guy each day, God love you. <laughs> I think I could comfortably call it whoring. I'm not saying I'm any better, but she's, but I never blamed it anybody. She said, it's, you, it's your responsibility. You created an environment where anything was possible. Okay.
so, so uh, uh, you know, I'm not going to shake the hustle of a will in it. I'm not going to shake the hustle. God love them. Do what you, what you got to do to get paid to eat. You know, there's a better, 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 you and David Goggins and the better, better, and then so Ho Jogan kind of ties into better, 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 but life, life, you know. Yeah, I like that guy, Maniscalco. But life is just, like Bruce Lee says, the bow that bends versus the bow that breaks. I'm fluid. And I, and I have to tell you, I have to tell you, you know, what, what helped me get there? I tell you one of the things that helped me get there. I remember talking to, uh, how do I not put the everybody on blast? I, I remember talking to somebody who wanted to experience psychedelics. And I said, I'm glad to point you in the right direction, but uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to have it with you. And he was like, why? I go, because your soul is dirty. And I go, whoa, no, it's a religious thing. I go, no, it's not a religious thing. I'm not telling you that. I just, there's stuff that you're going to be faced, forced to face when you're there and that you haven't faced before. And I don't want to be there with you when you do it. This is something that a man of your age should have already dealt with. In other words, so find somebody, so find another trips doctor. Because at that point right now, all that my experience, all boundaries were expanded, expounded on, and and suddenly I could kind of reconfigure, you know, into that werewolf vampire hybrid that I always was. How does it relate to the oofsie from last night? Did you watch it? I can tell by Twitter traffic how many of you watched it. And if 90% of you watch that fight, I'll eat a bug. I would say 50% didn't watch that fight. Less. There was a 15-fight card. There were two fights I cared about. I have to say, and then the one fight I cared, the the main card fight, the the headliner, was over the first round. And it was such a non-event that I think they had to create some some heat coming out of it so that people were like, oh, I really missed something. What you missed was about 15 seconds of, of, of Anthony Smith John at Ryan Spann, Ryan Spann, who I picked, incidentally. Ryan Spann, who made the number one mistake of talking crap about a guy and giving him an emotional, cautious belly. No, man, I'm smiling and high-fiving, low-fiving. I'm complimenting the guy's wife and kid. Forget it. Main card. That's That was it. And he's 15 seconds, and he goes, no, I want to shake his hand. I want to, you know, this is just work. We're trying to pay our families. And 